Hello, and welcome to the Renick Centre podcast. Today, we speak to Mike Corrigan, an access technology consultant at the RIDBC School Services team. Mike speaks with us about changes in technology for those who are blind or have low vision and predictions for improvements for the future. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to today's Renick Centre podcast. My name's Trudy Smith. I'm the Manager of Continuing Professional Education at the RIDBC Renick Centre. Today we're joined by Mike Corrigan. How are you, Mike? Tell us a bit about yourself. I'm one of the team of assistive technology specialists here at RIDBC. When I was starting university in the late 1970s, most of the technology we used was a science fiction dream. And I should mention that I've been totally blind since birth. I was interested in technology and so I studied commerce at university, then worked in the technology area with the New South Wales government. Um, computers back then um, were the one area that people um, could read information from the screen and have it produced either through uh, refreshable braille, but before that it was produced on hard copy braille. And remember computers um, you know, were, were quite different to what they are now. Being able to touch type and read braille output gave me the independence I needed to pursue work with computers. Remember, computers were much different and slower than today's computers. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, reading books, that was an interesting experience. Reading books and using the library could only be accomplished with the help of volunteer readers. So some read to me face to face and others recorded material on cassette tape so that they could read it when they had time and I could read it when I had time to, to listen to it or needed to listen to it. And it was great to store it that way because I could um, go over things that I wanted to go over again. So back then, that was majorly good technology. They're a wonderful group of people, the volunteer readers, and many of us who were blind benefited from their work at the time. We couldn't have made it without them. By the 1990s, technology had advanced a great deal. I was interested in working in the disability field, so I returned to university while I was working. And this time I did a Masters of Rehabilitation Counselling at um, Sydney Uni, mm-hmm. and journals had become available on CD collections um, in the library, and others were just starting to appear online. And this is great news for me. Absolutely. Because they could be read independently using a screen reader. Now, I could pursue interest reading many more articles than would have been possible if if I had to rely solely on volunteer readers. Um, I could also scan print material. Scanners and text recognition programs had become available by then, and that was great too because I could go and borrow books from the library and I could sit there and scan, you know, up till very late at night if if I wanted to and I wouldn't exhaust a a person. So almost accessing resources on the same basis yes. as sighted peers. Yeah, almost on the same basis, except I had to scan the book before I could read it, whereas they could just pull it out and read it. Very true. Um, and these days I could probably just um, pull it out, some books or certainly the articles, and just start reading them when I came across them. So, But things got better. Um, in 2003, um, about six months after I joined RODBC, um, I returned to uni again, and then I did um, a diploma and um, a diploma and masters of education. Um, now most journal articles are online, and even some books were becoming available online. Assignments were required in a digital format, like Word, and that was from everyone. So I wasn't in a minority of technology users anymore. 
um, some books still had to be scanned, but it was great to be able to have independent access to them and follow up the things that I wanted to read. And, and this brings up a, a question that I've had, Mike. I know we've been talking about the changes for you since 2004. So can you give us a bit of a sense of how access solutions for people with vision impairment have changed since then? Yeah, sure. Well, some of the major areas um, that changes have occurred in include um, a diverse range of equipment that can now provide assistance, and that includes mainstream equipment. Um, and accessible touch screens, they weren't around back then. Mm -hmm. uh, voice control systems, uh, personal GPS systems, real-time video communication, and artificial intelligence to recognise images. Now that's by no means a, a, an exhaustive list, but it's it's where I think the major areas have improved since 2004. Sure. So back in 2004, the laptop was a, uh, and some specialised pieces of equipment were the main tools that people who were blind used to produce um, digital information. Um, so your specialist devices would include uh, um, things like the the Braille Note family of products um, from Humanware back then and uh, the Packmate from Freedom Scientific. Mm -hmm. Now, um, of course, there's um, the Braille Sense from HIMS has, has joined the whole uh, raft of things and, and Freedom Scientific have produced a whole lot, a lot of different Braille displays. Um, these days, tablets, smartphones and associated software have joined the toolkit. And that's what people use these days, a toolkit. The reason we use specialised devices a long time ago was that they were one of the only things to have the kind of battery life that we needed. Now that battery life is also available in tablets and in, in um, laptops, particularly ones with solid state drive. And we can you know, take them out and keep using them all day. Many more books are now available uh, in a variety of digital formats. Um, for download from specialist and mainstream libraries. So you could borrow an audio book now from your local library. Uh, you can borrow from, say, Vision Australia Library, a specialist library, borrow an audio book from there. And from both libraries, you could borrow um, books that are e-texts and they can be read with a screen reader. Now, the accessibility from mainstream borrowing sources uh, might not be uh, as, as good as we'd like, but um, I have read books using it. Accessible digital books are also now commercially available from a variety of sources. Um, and some examples of those are Apple Books, Kindle uh, and Google. Mm -hmm. And they can be read um, with a screen reader, or many of them can. There are more ways to quickly access print material like labels and barcodes these days. You don't have to rely on your desktop scanner or solely rely on your desktop scanner. Um, you could use an app on a smartphone to uh, additionally access information, to read a label uh, on a box. You could read a barcode um, and you could just identify quickly uh, a piece of paper. Written information can be produced by typing on a keyboard, brailing on a braille keyboard, or these days you can dictate it as well into uh, a PC or tablet. So there's a lot more ways to read and produce information. The solutions are far more diverse and Really, there's a lot of good mainstream products out there which have um, become quite assistive in the way they help people who are blind. It's amazing that some of the changes that have happened for you guys. Tell me more about touchscreens. Yeah, well, um, the first accessible touchscreen became available in um, the iPhone in 2009, followed by the iPad in 2010. And that was the first time that, um, well, certainly the first time I'd um, been able to use a touchscreen. Um, and be, 
the first time they became really widely available. Touchscreens had always been a concern because there's nothing tactile to, to use. And we all wondered, oh, if more and more touchscreens become available, how do you do this uh, non-visually? But Apple provided the innovation we needed um, back then. So they built voiceover screen readers? Yes. Um, Apple built the voiceover screen reader into their products ready to go, straight out of the box. And with that, you could use the touchscreen. Voiceover provided gestures that offered reliable operation to a person who was not able to use the screen visually. For example, a single finger flick right would find the next item on the screen. Um, a single finger flick left would locate the previous item on the screen. You could also have it spoken, have the item spoken under your finger as you move them around the screen, but um, you, know, you, you didn't know if you just moved your finger around the screen, you might miss things because there's no tactile indication that you cover them. So the mm -hmm. gestures let the system find them for you. Sure. Um, double tapping anywhere on the screen activates the item whose name was last announced. So if I want the weather and I get on to, I, I flick until I hear weather app, then I can tap anywhere on the screen. For all I know, I might be typing on an app to get me today's newspaper. <laughs> but because weather was the last thing that was called out, then it was spoken, then because weather was the last thing that was spoken, then the weather app will be opened. Oh, that's very um, clever technology, isn't it? Oh, yes. Yeah, that's... Um, it's, it's really good. Um, and if you want to look up the, the full list of gestures um, for devices, they're usually in the user guide with the Apple devices, they are in the chapter on accessibility. Sure. Is Apple the only product that has um, no, touchscreen? No. Um, fortunately, now uh, their innovation has been carried forward to um, Windows. Mm -hmm. No. Um, fortunately, now their innovation uh, has been. Uh, incorporated into Windows and onto Android screens as well. So um, you can now, uh, if you have the equipment, use uh, touchscreen gestures with JAWS or with NVDA uh, or with um, uh, Narrator, the built-in screen reader on Windows as well, and on Android devices. Yeah, right. So tell me about voice-operated equipment improving accessibility. Siri and Google Assistant are examples of controlling equipment by speaking to it. Um, you can ask Siri things like the time, uh, what's tomorrow's weather, and the one I like when I'm going along in the bus, where am I? <laughs> to hear, and that tells me my location. Are, I think that would really help lots of us, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it, it really is nice to be able to just know that, if, particularly even if I'm in a known area that, and there's a very long straight road where I have to get off, that... Um, you know, I'm, I'm on uh, North Rocks Road and I'm about to cross a particular street or I'm up to a particular number. And uh, that's similar to asking someone, well, where are we now? Except I asked the, the device this time. And, and you can do that without a keyboard? Yes, you can do that without a keyboard. Um, I can just ask the device, where am I? And it'll tell me where I am. Uh, the Google Assistant can play music from a range of sources, read the news and provide um, simple answers to questions. Um, so voice control systems have been a very convenient way um, for people who can use a keyboard to get information. However, for people with additional disabilities and who may not be able to use a keyboard, they now have a whole new level of independence and that's a really powerful feature for them. Absolutely. And so I guess touching on how useful it is to know where you are, personal GPS systems, have they helped 
they've been a massive difference. Uh, back in 2004, no, they didn't exist. Um, I think the quality and reliability of getting buses, taxis and, and uh, travelling in unfamiliar areas have has increased dramatically. Um, in 2004, we had to either know the bus route well or rely on the bus driver or information from other passengers really to know where we were and more importantly where the, the bus stop was that we wanted to get off mm-hmm. at. Um, travelling on unfamiliar routes uh, on a bus could be quite an experience and I had to do it several times. If you went past your stop, the the first question I would ask is, well, where's the bus stop for the return <laughs> journey? Fortunately, it didn't happen to me very often. Uh, it did happen once or twice. Um, Travelling too far on a train may just mean that you've got to cross over to the opposite platform to get a train back to the destination you wanted to be at. But if you're looking for a return bus stop, it could be in another street even. And it, it just, you know, and then you've got to find out, well, where, where are the lights so that I can cross the road? They're not as easy to find because they're often just a pole on the side of the road. So GPS has made that a lot easier. These days, using a GPS, um, either purpose designed for people who are blind or a smartphone connected to an internet, I could set up a um, route to drive or walk to a destination and I can find out my current location at any time um, and that's made an enormous difference to independent travel. And another nice feature is that some GPS apps will also announce places and landmarks as you pass them. For example, shops, community centres, bus stops, parks, schools, etc. Um, so I think of using these apps as like looking out of the window for a person who's blind. That's a great analogy. I think they're an excellent way to introduce young children to exploring their surroundings while travelling safely with their family so they can have a, a little look out the window and discover what's there. Yeah, no, that's that's actually a really nice way to, to teach children about the world as well. So I really love that. You mentioned real-time video. How is this helping? Well, people who are blind can now obtain visual assistance from a person with sight from a remote location via video conference rather than waiting for a friend to come over. Um, For example, a person who's blind can make a Skype or FaceTime call to a friend and use a camera on a smartphone or tablet to obtain visual assistance. And that's an example of how a mainstream device is being used for an assistive purpose. Um, I had a friend uh, tell me um, that they dropped a glass once and that they wanted to be sure they'd cleaned up all the glass. Now, there's been techniques for that for years, but it's really nice to be able to just get someone to look around the kitchen and just see if they got all the glass up. Uh, And they said they felt rather reassured rather than have to, um, you know, go and find a friend to come over and have a look. Absolutely. Um, whether it was um, uh, whether they'd got all the glass. These are examples that would just not occur to us sighted people. That's brilliant. Oh no, no, because Skype and FaceTime have traditionally been used just so people can see each other and show each other things. I shouldn't say just so because <laughs> um, that's really important to be able to show someone your surroundings. But it's really good to get some um, to get some help. I heard a, bl- a person who's blind speaking on a radio program from the UK. And um, she was giving the example where she wanted to know whether um, some clothes she had actually matched. So she called a family member in Australia 
and they could give her assistance from Australia about whether the, the, the clothes matched. And she said that was really good. And I thought, oh, that's not bad, getting assistance across Absolutely. the world. Absolutely, yeah. I think that, that's, that's things that, that we sighted people would probably, now that we, it's occurred to us, we could totally ask our friends what do we think yeah. before we head out on a date. That sounds brilliant. And there's also special services now set up, um, like IRA. They've been set up to provide visual assistance. Um, so that's to A-I-R-A? Yes, yeah. and uh, what the IRA system does, it provides an app um, that goes on your iPhone. Um, it's a US-based system and it's a paid-for service. It uses an app running on an iPhone and the app connects the user to a trained consultant who can help with a visual task. The user can also be connected through a special pair of glasses uh, that have a camera in them so they can provide video to the consultant in the direction the person is looking. So um, that would help people and, and leave you, your hands free if you needed to have hands free mm -hmm. and not want to use your phone. Tasks that friends have accomplished using this technology include setting an air conditioner temperature from a remote um, that wasn't accessible, finding the way to a remote location and reading the label on a packet when they, they didn't have any other way to identify what was in it. So these kinds of services did not exist all that time ago, back in, in 2004. No, and I imagine artificial intelligence, intelligence probably wasn't as well developed back then as well. How is that being used to recognise images today? Certainly not in the area that we're in. It, it hadn't been really developed. Um, so image recognition is very, very new and um, it, it certainly wasn't there 15 years ago. So some of the apps that can use it um, like uh, Tap Tap See, Seeing AI, and Vocalize, and um, use it to recognize and describe images. The person takes a photo and the app processes and speaks a description of the image. Products like Facebook now attempt to provide a description of an image if a screen reader is being used. There is a very recently available feature in Google Chrome that enables a user to send an image on a web page to Google for a description. And that, that literally has only come out it's been in testing, I believe, since March, but some have come out probably in the last few weeks or the oh, last month. Fantastic. And that's really great. That's very new. Uh, Google has said the description may not always be 100% perfect, but it's an excellent feature. Mm. The JAWS screen reader has also very recently provided an image recognition feature. So getting, we're on the, the verge or on the beginning of having images uh, described to us. Sure. So, I mean, there have been some huge advances in assistive technology in the last 15 years and hopefully so much more to come in the next 15, but what are some of the problem areas that still exist? Yes, um, the big problem area really is awareness and implementation of accessibility. That's still an issue. Right. So can you give us an example of some of those inaccessible technologies that you're aware of? Yep. Um, self-service checkouts in supermarkets are currently inaccessible to people who are blind. I can't use a self-service checkout in the supermarket um, near me. Um, they use touch screens and we can use those if they're accessible. However, there's not enough spoken feedback um, to enable their operation in the on the supermarket checkout. There's no way to independently um, enter the product types and quantity purchased. Um, if the product can't be scanned or to edit a credit card pin. A friend who was blind told me about a coffee machine that had an inaccessible touch screen. Um, the machine could also be controlled by an app on an iPhone and that was a bit more accessible but it didn't provide access to all the features. Oh. So uh, he could use some but not all of them. 
There's also been problems with some um, touchscreen banking systems um, in their operation in the past couple of years as well. On the other hand, um, I've heard of a hi-fi system that is controlled by an app and some of its features were inaccessible a few years ago, but the accessibility is dramatically improved now. So it's now a very accessible app and provides a very high level of, of accessibility to its features for people who are blind. I'm optimistic about the future if developers of products implement inclusive design and just implement the often simple things that will make their product accessible. For example, there's now a way for people who are blind to use touch screens, as we've described. Mm-hmm. However, the supermarket touch screen mm-hmm. remains inaccessible, and so do some touch screens on appliances and um, some banking systems. There is a big difference between not yet having the technology to develop accessible solutions and not using existing accessible solutions. So hopefully, you know, we now, now that we have a way to use touchscreens, that way can be implemented on the touchscreens that um, are currently inaccessible. So making a product accessible, you know, will extend its usefulness to a wide range of people. And in doing so, it'll increase its market share. And so a big shout out to all <laughs> developers of products out there. Um, please design your product inclusively. You'll increase your market share, you'll get really good branding respect and you'll make the world a better place for people as well. And we absolutely support that wholeheartedly, Mike. Thank you so much for that insight into the changes in technology. I've certainly learned a lot today and I hope that our audience has too. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. A huge thank you to Mike for taking the time to speak with us today. As mentioned within the podcast, there are a number of apps in which you can check out that are fully accessible and used. For more information about accessible content and other PD content which might be relevant to you, be sure to check out the Short Courses website, shortcourses.ridbc.org.au.